Welcome to the Brain People Podcast, a show where four mental health experts team up to bring you practical tools for overcoming mental health challenges. The Brain People don't replace your doctor or therapist, but we will give you some extra tools to help you on your journey. So join us as we fight mental illness, one episode at a time. I'm Dr. Daniel Vinas, and I want to welcome you to the Brain People podcast today. And I'm joined joined by my co-host, Amanda. And today, I want you to understand that I am vigorously dedicated to this podcast (laughs) because, as you can tell, my voice is a little bit off today, but we're going to make do, and we're going to be talking about a very important topic, and today's topic is the impact of screens and on our mental health, specifically with young people. Mm -hmm. Amanda, could you share a little bit from your background as a therapist how screens have impacted mental health and some of the issues you see around that when it comes to dealing with young people's mental health. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just from the basics of having a kid in my or a teenager in my office and them checking their cell phone in the middle of our sessions, that's one of the ways it impacts um, therapy and stuff. But um, one of the bigger ways that I think it affects therapy is kids have a hard time just paying attention to anything. I actually have four different areas that it it typically impacts with kids. Um, One is their mental health, um, decrease in thinking and verbal abilities, uh, poor socialization, and poor problem solving. Those are the four main areas that I see media has an effect on kids. Yeah, I definitely have noticed that too. And of course, not just with kids, but with adults Mm -hmm. as well. Yes, that's true. And I definitely want to dive into those um, a little in just a few minutes here. But one of the things that I think is amazing is when you really look at the overall rise of media, the number of hours that we spend daily, Mm -hmm. of course, adults and kids and how it really has started to consume our lives in in a lot of ways. Absolutely, definitely. So one of the things that um, when we look at the data that we actually see is that um, for teens, um, it's an average of over nine hours per day of media consumption. Now, Mm -hmm. that includes non-screen time too, like radio and whatnot, Mm -hmm. but it just gives you a taste for, wow, you know, this is like ubiquitous. When when people get up in the morning, when kids get up in the morning, they're often immediately inundated with media. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think like, okay, so how is this really influencing us? Not only maybe our mental health and the problems we see, but even the way we, we think about things and um, our attitudes toward one another, our cultural norms, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that, that I see quite often, which is, I don't think it's a new phenomenon, but the way it's growing is new and that is social anxiety. And because kids and adults too, I mean, we can easily put adults in this, but because kids are so inundated with media, it's harder for them even to consider like being out with others in public without their phones it becomes 
I, I think of it like a binky or a pacifier. You know, your little baby doesn't want to leave and parents will drive, you know, half an hour back home just to get the binky or, or the blankie or whatever it is. And now the same with kids too. They don't want to be without their phones. Like, I don't know how to hang out with my family if I don't have my cell phone. And the parents are like, come on, join us, do this thing and have fun with us. And the kid's like, I don't, I have to be constantly connected with my friends. And so that's one of the big things is that social anxiety. Like, I don't know how to be around people. One, because I don't know how to do it without my social media stuff or my media in general. But two, because I'm so used to having this protective barrier between me and others that now what do I do when I'm face to face with them? Absolutely. And it's pretty amazing. They've actually done studies on attachment and how people get literally Mm -hmm. attached to their phones. In other words, the same parts of the brain light up as Mm -hmm. if you were actually having a close, intimate relationship with a person and the same parts of the brain light up when it's Mm -hmm. with your phone. And people get really anxious when they don't have their phones. And I've talked with several parents where they've confiscated their children's phones and the child has a meltdown. They throw Mm -hmm. a fit, they throw things, they destroy things. They're like, that was not my kid. I don't know what happened, but that was really scary. Yeah. And, and we're talking about phones because they're so accessible, but I mean, some people who are listening may have even heard some of the news that came out you know, years ago where uh, kids were, you know, playing video games upwards of like 16 hours a day and there was some intervention there. And so the parents said, you know, we got to take the video games away. And kids were, you know, throwing tantrums, destroying property in the homes. And at the very worst, they were even committing suicide because they didn't know how to live outside of this virtual world that they had created and then consumed their time with. It's, it's really scary. And I, I think part of that, what we're seeing is that it does make it difficult for people to actually function in a quote unquote normal way mm-hmm. in relationships because they get so used to looking at a phone and having a relationship with a phone and communicating that way mm-hmm. rather than having face to face conversation. Absolutely. I think of I think of social media. You know, if I'm using social media, I can I can genu generally create the atmosphere or the persona that I want you to believe about me. But then what do I do now when I'm face to face with you and you can see my flaws, you can see the fact that I'm not looking perfect today or I haven't done all of this stuff or I'm not uh, filtering the words that I say that I've gone over 25 times before I put it on social media. And so these things all create a very uh, fake or facade that we put out there and then how do I accept that people might not see me perfectly? Absolutely. So let's go ahead and dive into those four areas. Mm-hmm. Can you remind me again, what were those four areas that you've really noticed uh, pe- media 
impacts young people's mental health? Yeah. So the first one is poor mental health. That's including things like depression and anxiety. Then we have decrease in thinking and verbal abilities. And there's a lot of research coming out um, about how this affects even young little kids, toddlers, infants, um, that sort of thing. Uh, Poor socialization. We've kind of talked about that a little bit, just not either having social anxiety or not having to really confront issues and stuff in real time in real life situations and then poor problem solving there's not that instantaneous you know if I watch a tv show it in a half an hour maybe 22 minutes if you don't count commercials or an hour the problem is solved but what do I do when it takes several days or weeks to resolve an issue and I don't get that instant gratification what do I do with that so those are the four areas mainly we see that's great and that's really helpful to be able to categorize those things so let's talk a little more about the first one the mental mm-hmm. health issues <clears throat> so you mentioned uh, depression anxiety um, I've also seen ADHD. And in fact, the statistics are very clear that over the last couple of decades, ADHD, we're really in an epidemic of ADHD. Mm -hmm. I mean, people are losing their capacity to to focus. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts about why that is? Yeah, well... One of the things I've considered is, I mean, there's obviously some research behind this too, but um, one of the things I've considered is if I'm, say, for instance, a teacher and I teach third grade and I've got like 30 students in my class and those 30 students all have nine hours a day worth of media, whether it's television, movies, cell phone interaction and stuff like that. Think about the amount of money that goes into making a television show, that goes into making a movie to try to get your attention. And now as that third grade teacher with my very small budget, I have to create an environment that's going to keep the attention of all 30 of those third graders. You can't compete with that, right? I can't (laughs) compete with Hollywood. There's a lot more money going into those types of things from the cameras to the exciting people and scripts and everything. And I might have just had 15 minutes, you know, before class to, you know, get my curriculum together. And I have to try to keep all of those kids' attention spans the same way. Absolutely. And and it's interesting because when you think about the neuroscience of media and whether it's television, video games, uh, social media, Mm -hmm. any kind of media, what it does is it actually grabs our attention by stimulating the dopamine response. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when that dopamine is triggered by something interesting and shiny and exciting, then that actually entrains our brain to say, hey, I like that. That feels good. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what starts happening is like you're saying, reality, you know, it moves slower. A lot slower sometimes. (laughs) Yes. And maybe a class is not nearly, a math class is not nearly as exciting or studying my history book isn't nearly as exciting as, Mm -hmm. you know, watching some fast moving action flick or playing a video game or even interacting on social media. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the dopamine level that's released with that is going to be a lot less than what you have with media. So it's Mm -hmm. like, 
yeah, you can start to understand why it's, it starts to become difficult to pay attention. Oh, yeah. And I even have I have a friend who's a teacher. And I mean, as a teacher, he's trying to incorporate cult, you know, current music and celebrities and stuff into his curriculum just to try to keep the kids attention because it's so hard nowadays. And even if you look at churches, they're having to up the ante on their theatrics and stuff. I'm not saying they have to, but many times they do because you know, people don't even want to sit through an hour sermon like they used to, you know, 20, 30 years ago and stuff. So it's just it's changing our culture quite a bit that we can't sit and just listen or accept something without having some sort of like dramatic car chase. <laughs> right. Right. And, you know, in the end, it's it's sad because it actually can rob us of some the fulfillment we can receive from some of those mm-hmm. more in-depth, slower sort of um, interactions that we might have, whether it's, you know, with another person or watching a sunset mm-hmm. or um, appreciating, like you said, a sermon or something like that. that. Maybe it's not super exciting, but there's depth there yeah. that people miss in all the mm-hmm. excitement that they're pursuing. Yeah. And it, it, you know, you just reminded me too, it it actually cheapens our experience because it has to be quick and fast. And I, I heard somebody say once, I thought it was a neat analogy, and you could probably speak to the actual chemistry in the brain of this, but that, you know, when we're infants, we have a very small dopamine receptor. And so, I mean, you know that watching kids, because you could put a baby or an infant, not an infant, but maybe a toddler on a blanket Uh, out in the park or something and they will stare at like a little piece of grass for what seems like a very long time and they're so mesmerized by it so exciting but then you put that baby in front of you know a cell phone while he's in the grocery cart you know at the store because mom wants to distract from you know that interaction while she's shopping and then that kid can't look at grass anymore it needs the cell phone to keep it going so what that means is the dopamine receptor gets bigger and bigger and bigger and so you need more and more and more to get that same reaction you really get desensitized over Mm -hmm. time just like perfect with with in a way with like with any addiction really Mm -hmm. and that's why we see that a lot of people can literally get addicted to Mm -hmm. media and it does the same same sort of thing. You need more and yep. more sorts of stimulation. And I'm sitting here kind of laughing because I have a, as you know, a 14 month mm-hmm. old baby, and and I've seen her do that. You know, she'll look at little pieces of <laughs> of lint uh-huh. on the rug and like pick it up and be like, oh, you know, looking at that. You think it was something totally <laughs> not lint? <laughs> it's hilarious. And 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 so we do cheapen our mm-hmm. existence. I think oftentimes. What what do you think about multitasking? When, you know, is that an issue when it comes to interfering with our attention spans? Mm -hmm. Well, and yeah, absolutely. And I've heard it said you technically can't multitask. You can't do two things at once. You know, a woman cooking or anybody cooking for that matter is in the kitchen. Yeah, one thing's cooking, but you're not actually doing anything you're mixing something in a blender and then you go back to checking it the blender's left alone for a moment so you're going back and forth but what we t- what we're talking about with multitasking is i have to have three or four or five or ten things going on at the same time to keep me from that one thirty seconds of boredom 
versus, hey, I can just sit here and wait for something else to happen if it takes that long to get there. So. Absolutely. And some of the studies I've looked at with multitasking are really interesting too mm-hmm. in that it seems like what, the more people switch from one task to the next rapidly, which is really mm-hmm. what multitasking is, it actually ruins your ability to have linear concentration. Mm-hmm. And, but, and what's interesting is they've actually done studies where they ask people to rate how good they are at multitasking. Mm-hmm. And the ones that thought they were the best at, at multitasking actually were the worst. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were the worst at switching rapidly from yeah. one task to the next. And they had the worst concentration. Mm-hmm. And so... That's how things get burnt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how things get burnt in the kitchen and sometimes uh, in the office and yeah. all sorts of relationship uh-huh. problems. Anyway, uh-huh. yeah. So the whole multitasking thing, it's important, I think, that people realize that not only is it not truly possible, it's mm-hmm. horrible for your mental health, for yeah. your, your focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other thing or the next thing is decrease in thinking and verbal abilities. And this is where a lot of the research is done on infants or babies and stuff. And they notice how this affects them. And I think, let's see. Oh, yeah, I found uh, some research. This is like new, new research. Um, it's a $300 million National Institute of Health study that just started in 2018. So they haven't even finished it. Um, but it says early data from the study began, and they it indicates that children who spent more than two hours a day on screen time activities scored lower in language and thinking tests. And some children with more than seven hours a day, which we know that you just said nine earlier, um, more than seven hours a day of screen time experienced thinning of the brain's cortex, the area of the brain related to critical thinking and reasoning. Wow. That's scary. It is very scary scary. And, you know, it really, it it goes along with data that also shows in older adults that it actually, the more time you spend on media, specifically in the study that I looked at, um, television increases your risk of dementia and cognitive Mm -hmm. decline. And so, you know, it really, it's sad to me because a lot of people don't even really have a fighting chance at the beginning of their lives. They're inundated Mm -hmm. with media. The brain doesn't develop properly. And then oftentimes it continues to be a a big part of their lives. And then it also, on the other side, their brain starts disintegrating more rapidly too and setting the stage for faster cognitive decline. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it is very clear to me from the research that it does impact cognitive health like Mm -hmm. you know learning memory all of these things yeah and we and we're such a society that wants to find that next exciting pill or drug or whatever that will help us live longer and healthier and everything but i think what we're really focusing on here in this podcast and just the work that we do is looking for the preventative stuff like it's one thing to spend money later on to try to get back what you lost but what about if we start without the losses and stuff with the preventative work so that's what we're talking about today yeah and we're gonna here before we finish today we're gonna get into some of those solutions because we don't want to just send the message oh media is horrible and there's no nothing we can do to really Mm -hmm. deal with that um but real quick, the, la- the last two. So we have first one was the mental health issues. The second one was the cognitive 
health issues, mm-hmm. learning, memory, that sort of thing, verbal. Um, the third one was? The third one was um, poor socialization. Poor socialization. Mm-hmm. And we did kind of talk about that a little bit at the beginning where, you know, we don't know how to interact with others. Um, we tend to, I, I mean, there's, I think even the average person is hearing this more now too with, you know, social media will say things to people online that we won't say to people in their face or yes. to their face. And so we have to, we have to remember that being face to face and learning how to talk to other human beings in real time helps us also build empathy and sympathy towards others. It's very easy to just have an opinion, throw it out there into the atmosphere of technology and not realize what are the long-term consequences of that. Absolutely. And that was one of the things that was going through my mind too, is that empathy piece. People don't realize how important empathy is. Mm -hmm. If you, if you don't have that face-to-face interaction, where you're actually reading people's facial expressions and sharing life together, you really lose the ability to have that sense of real depth of connection and real real caring Mm -hmm. that comes. And and you tend to actually start treating people more like objects and how can I kind of use this person Mm -hmm. to get to where I want to go rather than really saying like, okay, how can I connect with them and have a relationship that's mutually beneficial and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. When I was growing up, I'm sure you can attest to this too. Um, I only had a certain number of people in my sphere. I only had so many people, whether it was my classmates, people from church in my own home, even I could grasp you know, interacting with those people. It was hard sometimes, but I figured out how to interact with them. But what happens when you add 500 more, you know, quote unquote friends um, through social media, or you have these celebrities that have perfect lighting and all of this other stuff. Now I have to contend with those quote unquote relationships too. And even to hearing about the pain and suffering of those people, it's hard to keep track of all of that. But what if we just kept track of the sphere that we had, those human interactions that were on a more regular basis? Now that's not quite as overwhelming as, you know, I feel sorry for kids nowadays, all of the stuff that they take on. So socialization becomes harder because I'm not just keeping track of my sphere, I'm keeping track of thousands and thousands of people beyond that. It is very hard. And even though research shows that people get a little bump in in dopamine and a little Mm -hmm. pleasure in interacting online and social media and whatnot, they find that it's a lot less pleasurable than face-to-face interactions. And so, you know, the net effect is that if you're supplanting, you know, the time you should be spending face-to-face with this online stuff is just not going to mm-hmm. give you a good, good positive effect. So the last, mm-hmm. and, and then the fourth one, the fourth the, la- the last one is poor problem solving. Problem solving. And um, I think you and I were talking about this before we actually started the podcast, but there was a time when, you know, 
If you had a problem, you had to go searching for the answer. You might have to talk to people about it, which includes the socialization aspect. But nowadays we just type into the search engine, hey, you know, how do you do this or a video? Whereas we might have had to fail a few times first until we finally got it or talk to somebody who's an expert and do that interaction of problem solving. And now that we have so much media, it can take so much more of our time. So we never even go to look for answers to problems or try to figure those things out. It's a great point. So we're not really challenging ourselves the way our brain mm-hmm. is getting lazy, essentially. Yeah, we're becoming 2D individuals instead yeah. of 3D individuals. So one one thing that I think about with media overall, you know, when you think about the way it, the neurophysiology is that it really affects the frontal lobe of the brain, which is the logical reasoning, Mm -hmm. helps to control the emotions, helps with critical thinking. Absolutely. And it decreases activity there. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it increases activity in the emotional part of the brain. Mm -hmm. And I think that that creates an imbalance then. And we know that that imbalance, the overactivity in the limbic system, the emotional part of your brain, and underactivity in the frontal part of your brain, sets the stage for all of these mental health problems that we've been Mm -hmm. talking about, whether it's social issues, cognitive issues, um, ADHD, Mm -hmm. anxiety, depression, problem solving uh, issues. And so it's so important, I think, that we we find a balance and a way to reset our brain. Yeah. Uh, So any thoughts before we wrap things up? How can we really reset our brains how can we get things back on track and i think we could spend a whole another podcast easily on talking about this but in a nutshell how can we get our children and even ourselves back on track yeah real quick before i do that i wanted to say one last thing that just popped into my mind and that is you know i think I've I spent a lot of time with teenagers and one of the things I've started doing more often is when I hear that word suicidal like I'm feeling suicidal I've started to ask them what that means and 99% of the time it's it's the awareness that I don't have the skills to deal with the problems in my life right now. It's not necessarily that I want to die. It's that I don't know what to do right now because I'm at a loss for, I don't have tools to deal with this. And so if we help kids, and that's going into now, what can we do? Practice being without your phone for a while. You know, one of the things my dad does is he leaves the phone in the console in the car. He goes places. I'm like, hey, dad, where were you? I was trying to call you. Oh, yeah, I I went and had dinner with your mom and I just left my phone in the car. Really what? simple thing. I don't <laughs> have to have you? my phone all the time on me. Go into the store without your phone. You know, when you're sitting with a friend eating out, don't take your phone in with you. It's just going to be a distraction from building those social skills and stuff. When you're When you have a problem come up, don't Google it or something. Try to figure it out first and let that be your last, last resort. Talk to somebody. Go, oh, this is an opportunity to call an expert and see what they would say to do. And then you make you might meet a new person that becomes a part of your life from there on out. The other thing, too, is spend time in nature. You know, get used to slow, quiet times. You know, a lot of us live in the city 
we can't avoid those sounds and the fastness of life sometimes, but going to a park where there's trees around you, hear the sounds of birds and the wind and, and sit down like a little child and try to you know, zero in on that little dopamine receptor that you once had and try to get back to that place and stuff. But just watch things, observe, um, be a part of life and then be more active too. after that. Maybe you want to start with just listening and paying attention. But what I would say to parents, too, is remember that some of us remember what it's like without media. You know, I I remember a time where this wasn't a problem. Um, but kids nowadays, they have nothing to compare this to. So it feels like you're pulling the rug out from underneath them. So understand that, be considerate of that, but also let your kids know, I want to just spend time with you and I'm okay if you struggle with this, we'll work, we'll figure it out together and then do projects together. Let them be a part of the solution, you know, the problem solving and the solution. Thank you, Amanda. I really appreciate you sharing this time with me and sharing all your information. And, you know, it's such an important topic uh, that we're Mm -hmm. covering. And I hope that our listeners really take it seriously and and realize, too, that we're not trying to demonize media. Mm -mm. Uh, There's definitely... We're doing a podcast right (laughs) now. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) A lot of good uses uh, for media, but Mm -hmm. we we really want to... ourselves and then teaching our children and others around us how to use it in a way that is actually productive and not Mm -hmm. harmful. Yeah, we're using it. It's not using us. That's right. So thank you again. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have to have a part two where we can really dive into even more on how we can help people to reset their brain so that they can get their mental health back on track. So if you only take one thing away from today's show, remember this. If mental illness is a whole person problem, then it must have a whole person solution. I'm Dr. Daniel Bynus. And I'm Amanda Anguish, Ribbit. And you've been listening to the Brain Brain People People Podcast. To hear more episodes, find us on social media, or support us financially, visit thebrainpeoplepodcast.com. Brain